Welcome to the Mostly Legal Podcast, a show where we tell the untold stories behind people who make law firms operate. Our guest, Jeffrey Williams, is a multi-talented all-star. He's a self-described lifetime learner whose interests range from studying blockchain and the metaverse to coaching softball and creating sleep music. I'm Amanda Copeless, Executive Director of Sheffield, Loman & Wilson, a mid-sized law firm based in Central Florida. And I'm Rob Joyner, Chief Revenue Officer for Centerbase. Talking to Jeffrey makes me feel like an underachiever, but his message that we all need a little help sometimes really resonated with me. He is a big proponent of dialoguing and learning from other people to be the most authentic person you can be. He shares that advice and more with us. Before we get started, I'd like to thank our sponsor, Centerbase, software built to power mid-sized law firms. Let's dive in. Jeffrey, thank you so much for joining us. We're so glad to have you on. My pleasure to be here. So I got the task of reading your bio. And I've said before, we don't go out loud and read bios. We just kind of give a snippet. But your background is so immense and there's so many things to give a snippet on. I'm going to throw a couple of things out and anything I missed that's super important. Will you go and fill in the blanks for me? Oh, certainly. It's not, none of it's important. (laughs) It's all important. Are you kidding me? (laughs) Okay. So Jeffrey Williams, your current claim to fame is you are the president elect of the association of legal administrators and you become the president in May of 23. That's right. Is it, it in is. May? Okay. It is. I couldn't remember if it was April or May when we get to Seattle, which is going to be awesome. I can't wait. <laughs> you can't wait for Seattle? I'm excited about it. Yeah. So you have all the degrees and all the certificates, MBA, an MDiv, which is a master in divinity, a at postgraduate certificate in law firm management. Recently, you became a certified metaverse expert, which right. we're going to circle back to because I'm going to need you to tell me <laughs> not only what is the metaverse, but what is the certification yep. in the metaverse. <laughs> and so when you're not racking up the degrees and being a COO and a CIO and all the very awesome things that you are, you have a huge list of fun pastimes as well. Softball coach, you create music. I, I right, need you. I do, yeah. Yep, yep. Rob's going to ask you about your creative side, I'm sure. Okay. You currently are living near Mobile, Alabama. That's right. All right, so should we dive in with what is a certified metaverse expert? Sure, let's do that. So the metaverse is, is basically a virtual world. It is a set of spaces that you can visit, interact with others in, that's really developed by software developers and has really taken the social world by storm. So you can have an avatar and you visit a virtual place and you transact business or have communications. And the reason why this is important nowadays is that there is such investment in this world by the top 40 companies in the world for commerce. Um, the most well-known being Facebook, um, investing over $10 billion, that's with a wow. B, last year in development of the metaverse with the idea looking towards the future that we will be interacting in the virtual world as much or at least a significant amount of time as we do now uh, conducting business conducting our lives interacting with each other from a social perspective but also a business transaction perspective and what it does is enables us to interact with people from all over the world in an instant so it's like that movie Ready Player One? A little bit, yeah. I mean, that, yeah. that's a concept that uh, was explored by the movie, yeah. But that book was written a long time ago. 
That guy's right. ahead of his time. I was just reading about the metaverse yesterday and, and how it's going for Facebook. Do you see any ties between legal services and the industry and the metaverse in the future? We are already seeing it. There are several law firms in the metaverse where they've purchased, that's right, purchased virtual <laughs> real estate and storefronts to prepare for the coming ages. Errant Fox having the claim to be the first large law firm in the metaverse. And of course, you have um, some plaintiff firms, um, some personal injury firms that are already in the metaverse. And so uh, those TV commercials you're, you're seeing, you'll see some of that in the metaverse, unfortunately, already. But <laughs> So John Morgan's going to be in the metaverse? Or? Uh, he already is, yes. <laughs> uh, do you own any real estate in the metaverse? I don't personally own any real estate in the metaverse. And the reason for that is because it's darn expensive. <laughs> is it really? I would think yes, you could get is. in now, like low prices, and then everything goes up. Well, it fluctuates. You know, uh, I think the time to get in is as soon as you can. The future is going to exploit these technologies and these experiences because we are in an experience era. We have transitioned from the information age to the experience age. And so we have people from all over the place looking for experiences and, and their interaction with technology is not uh, using an interface as much as it is as using immersion. So uh, we want to be in the technology and, and our our uh, science fiction stories, our movies, our entertainment point us that direction. And we are kind of an, we are an exciting era because we get to see how this is all developing in real world contexts. You know, one of my favorite things to talk about to give you an idea of what it's like to be in the metaverse is you may remember the holograms in Star Wars where you had R2-D2 project Princess Leia in the first uh, Star Wars that was released. And then the later Star Wars, where you have the meeting of the Jedis from all over the universe, meeting in one room virtually, and you can see them and their 3D images. And that's kind of the, the way uh, the metaverse is now. When you get into one of these platforms, you have an avatar and you have a virtual experience. And you can have technologies where you have everything around you, above you. You're surrounded by the environment. And so uh, you can have uh, also augmented reality. So you can have virtual things in your physical space that you currently have also projected. So it's a mixture of augmented reality and immersion virtual reality and your interactions are in real time. I was teaching a session on uh, these technologies at the IP law conference. And one of the attendees said that they work out every day in, in the pyramids of Egypt. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I said, wow, that's a great application. You know, um, it's not like you're seeing a video or, or a screen image of the pyramids of Egypt. You're actually moving along the path. So you can look left and right and, and up and around and walk around the pyramids or, you know, walk around the uh, tourist areas that are there. It's, it's really wow. cool. Okay. My two questions. Number one, do I get to pick my avatar and can I be younger and hotter? Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Okay. okay. And my second question on a more serious note is, when you buy virtual space in the metaverse, who are you buying it from? Like, who did your payment go to in this case? Well, they're different platforms. And so they offer the real estate, the virtual estate, if you, if you will, in their world. So you, one of them is Decentraland, for example. You can log on to Decentraland, have an account there, and you set up your world in that world. And there are, there are others too, Sandlot's another one. So was it going to be like, there's all these competitor providers and you're going to buy space in all of them and maybe one rises to the top? I think that's probably what will happen. I think you'll have more than one. One though, you'll have a few and they will have a way to interact with each other. So if you're in one world, you can uh, eventually be able to interact in the other world. 
I saw a few months back, somebody purchased a virtual yacht for a couple hundred thousand dollars. Yep. Crazy stuff. I mean, it's like real money. <laughs> yeah, it is. Not like, not like $5. <laughs> I was exactly. like, I mean, I buy virtual yachts for my kids and all their Roblox games all the time, but it's like $4.99. <laughs> all right. Well, start, start saving, Amanda. Because it's coming to your house soon. <laughs> I, I already spend a ton of money for virtual world. So I totally get it. I mean, I buy, you know, there's this game my daughter plays called Toka Boca and a new release comes out and she needs the bed and the couch and the pillows. And so I, I get it. I'm already paying all this money for that. So I feel like maybe she'll get a virtual education. That means I don't have to pay for <laughs> That's full right. price for Well, there are, there are universities and schools that have, have their platforms in the virtual universe. You mentioned your avatar. You could dress your avatar in the latest designer clothing, but you're going to have to pay for it. (laughs) So now if I want like the newest bag, if I want like some Prada shoes, I'm going to have to buy them twice. Once in real life and once in the metaverse. I think you might have some entrepreneurs out there uh, uh, marrying those two things together. You know, buy it as a package. Oh, you buy them online and then you get to wear them on your avatar. Yeah. A lot of the big brands are doing it. I mean, Nike's doing it. I saw something something on on some of the designer brands you're mentioning as well. They're selling it as that package deal. Or you can buy them standalone. I think some of the designer items were like, you know, instead of the thousands of dollars, they were five or $10. You're still paying for the accessories. I'm like going to be a real Barbie. (laughs) (laughs) Some of the real, I guess, the uh, beneficial aspects of it in business, you can meet with each other. Have virtual meetings, meet with your clients, meet with other lawyers, uh, meet with other other business partners and and professionals, no matter where they are. And, you know, we live in this Zoom world now, and we know how unsatisfactory the Zoom world is when everybody's in a Brady Bunch box and we're looking at each other's faces and nobody wants to be there. Um, If you take that to the next step. (laughs) Wait a minute. We're all on a Zoom call right now. What do you mean no one wants to be there? Well, they've had their umpteenth Zoom call today, right? Okay, all right, all right. Uh, but if you have this immersive experience, you can, at least to some degree, recreate the effect of being in the same room with someone. And what's cool is, say you have uh, a business partner in, in China, and they speak Mandarin, you speak English, and you can't really understand each other. There's technology that exists now that you could be sitting in a virtual meeting space together, and I'm speaking in English, and that person is hearing it in Mandarin. Or they're speaking Mandarin, I'm hearing it in, in English, and I can interact that way. Those technologies already exist, and they're being implemented. I'm Mind blown. That, I'm going to be that old person who like, ah, technology sucks. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so the next question we have is, you've got a lot of trophies back behind you. And I oh, briefly yeah. uh-huh. mentioned that you were a softball coach, but you're not just any softball coach. Like You are a successful Softball coach, will you tell me what your biggest accomplishment for that biggest trophy in the back is? Yes, I will. And the, the biggest accomplishment doesn't have anything to do with the trophy, really. It has ah. to do with the development of those girls. Uh, it's fast pitch softball. I, I was high school age. I don't do it anymore. Um, I did it for a few years, about four years. What I really found was bringing uh, teenage girls together for a collective purpose no matter what their backgrounds were, no matter where they came from, no matter what their economic background was, no matter what their race was, they came together for a common purpose and accomplished great things that really built their self-esteem, built their team building and teamwork um, relationships and really brought out the best and the worst sometimes, but the best of, of, of them in a competitive environment. And to me, that's really what sports are about, what softball is all about. 
we were a rec team, a recreational league team that didn't have the best or the most advantages. It's like some of the travel ball teams or some of the uh, well-funded organizations. And it's kind of like, I don't want to say it's a bad news bear story, but it's kind of a ragtag group (laughs) that we put together and just really focused on team building and teamwork. They were able to be very successful at their level. And the next year, we decided as a team to go up a level and up another level. And we started playing against travel ball teams, started playing against high school teams, and we're beating them. (laughs) Some high school teams no longer scheduled us anymore. (laughs) But um, the trophy back there really comes from our time of going to the World Series and finishing the Final Four and our regional World Series. And along the way, we uh, we beat some really, really outstanding, good teams, teams that had a lot of really fine athletes. Some of them are playing college now. Some of my girls are playing college now, too. Um, But to see a story, for example, I had one girl who you know, wasn't going to play because they couldn't afford the, the, the fees and then be able to secure funding for that person and, and her joining the team and having that experience. And now she has got a scholarship wow. um, at a college and she'll be the first one in her family to graduate from college. And you know, see those kind of stories amazing. are the amazing stories that I'm most proud of. So the trophy is just happenstance that came along the way. And the reason why I keep it is I think it represents the real trophy that is, that is in the hearts of every one of those girls that didn't know they could accomplish some great things and end up doing so. And I was just uh, proud to be along for the ride. And if it weren't for them, I wouldn't have the trophy. It's it's their trophy, really. Jeffrey, back up a little bit. How did you get into it in the first place? Yeah, that's a great story, too. It's a little bit of a long story, so I'll start back and, and shorten it. But uh, my niece, uh, MK, uh, came to us as a result of her mother passing away from brain cancer and her father not being a part of her life since she was one, one years old. So uh, in 2012, we took in four uh, nieces and nephews of uh, <laughs> uh, my, my sister-in-law's kids. Wow. But along with my own three. So we had seven kids for a little while. And um, that was Markayla's passion is wanting to do something uh, with sports. And she saw that I was coaching baseball and I was coaching football for, for my kids. And she wanted to get involved. So she took an interest in softball. And so I just started coaching after she uh, was in softball and uh, she was on the team for a while and I coached a few years after she left the team. So what was it like going from three children to seven overnight? It was quite a challenge. I wouldn't recommend it. (laughs) 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 Except, Except for, you know, you're giving kids a chance to have a life that they wouldn't have otherwise had. And, you know, it was hard. It was a hard time. It was a challenging time. But I tell you, uh, one of the themes in my life is finding help and enabling help and providing help. And I think all of us need help sometimes. And and when we got those seven kids, my firm rose to the occasion. Excuse me, we got the four kids making seven. My firm rose to the occasion, did everything they could to help us. My ALA chapter did everything they could do to help to help us as well. And you just had a lot of people stepping up to see what they could do to kind of alleviate the burden as much as they could in their own time and space. And I think that's a mission for all of us. And it's a good lesson to pay forward to help others who can't help themselves or in a bad situation or a temporarily bad situation. Um, I think the human experience really depends on us helping one another in those kind of times. So you said helping is obviously a big part of your life. You said everybody needs help and, and you try to help as much as possible. Is there a reason for that? Is there something that got you to that point? You know, when I was young, elementary school age. I lived in East Gainesville, which is Mm -hmm. 
in central Florida. Um, it's on the have not side of town on the wrong side of the tracks, if you will, you know, just a lot of poverty, a lot of, uh, non opportunities. And that's where we lived and we played, you know, with each other and it didn't matter who you were, what color your skin was, you know, we were all in this together. And one of the things that I was really affected by was going to visit my friend's homes and their mother's would be always talking about, you got to get out of this hole. You got to get out of this hole. What can you do to get out of this hole? Some of them really talked about education. And that really, that was something I latched on. And you mentioned Amanda earlier that I have all these degrees and these educational pursuits. Uh, You know, it became my passion. You know, it was always my drive to get out of the hole, so to speak, to pursue my ability to learn and grow and challenge myself. And the reason why help is important is because you can't really survive life by yourself. For us to be self-sufficient, it requires a lot more than most of us have. Along the way, you know, I was helped by education and I was helped by teachers believing in me and speaking into my life and pastors speaking into my life and, and people telling me that I could be successful, I could accomplish whatever I set my mind to. And I really believed it, <laughs> you know. And so um, I think if you believe a vision like that, you do the best you can to apply hard work, to apply discipline, and to take advantage of opportunities so that you can, you know, exceed where your context puts you. Jeffrey, you shared with me before that you grew up in Gainesville and then you moved somewhere in middle school. And that kind of also had an, a profound impact on your life. Will you share that with us? Yes. Yeah, so when I was about 12 years old, we moved to Andalusia, Alabama, which is a real small rural town in South Alabama. You know, being a Floridian, <laughs> you had to be either an Auburn or Alabama fan. Well, I was a Gator fan, so <laughs> I was already outcast there, right? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But but the um, the experience there really had to do with that time of life when you're 12 years old, you're in middle school. That's a hard time in general for any anybody. I have a 12-year-old, so I can assure you that that is yes. true, at least for the parents. Yes, it, it, it's a hard time in every kid's life. And, um, you know, it was a hard time in our lives. I was displaced, removed from all of my friends, came into a, a school where, you know, people mostly had known each other since they were, you know, very, very small mm-hmm. in a small town, small town world. We are outsiders coming into that town. And so it was hard to break in socially. You know, I developed a fear of talking because every time I would say something, it was, I was always laughed at or ridiculed. Yeah. You're in middle school. Right. And so um, I developed a slight stuttering problem. And so I just didn't talk a lot. And one of my teachers, (laughs) actually it was a uh, guidance counselor told me I would never amount to anything if I didn't go to the stuttering problem. (laughs) Oh my gosh. (laughs) So, you know, you you tell a 12 year old kid that that's uh, a pretty heavy, heavy lift. But, you know, I was determined to turn that around. And instead of feeling like, you know, that's a limitation I'm going to have, I'm going to overcome it. And so it took many years for me to overcome that. But um, I call it the fear of people, the fear of being in front of people and the fear of being having having attention put on me because of those experiences. But I think it challenged me and helped me identify and learn how to overcome those kind of things so that, you know, now, now things come my way. It's like, it's not that big of a deal. Um, (laughs) You're not afraid of speaking in front of people now. Like I just looked at your list of all the places you've spoken and all the organizations. And I'd say you gotten over that fear or at least are managing it. That's kind of a fun fact, right? (laughs) (laughs) 
And was your way of dealing with that fear just leaning into it? Not at first. Not at first? How did you deal with it? Encouragement from others. Encouragement from my mom, especially. But, you know, other people who uh, believed in me. And um, I listened to those messages, set aside the negative messages. I think that's where I developed the skill of, of being able to discern that not every message is a message for you, but also finding the nugget of truth that is in a negative message. You know, you can give me criticism. I welcome criticism because I want to grow and get better. But you can also deliver it in a very poor manner. Uh-huh. It's my job at that point is to understand what is the gold nugget of the message you're trying to send? What can I learn from that, even though the manner in which it's delivered is negative? And so I learned that lesson early on in, in life so that when negative things happen to me and, and people you know might not say the nicest things about me or to me, I can still learn and grow from those kinds of experiences. And I'm thankful and welcoming for the uh, constructive criticism I get that uh, will allow me to grow and get better at whatever I'm doing also. Can I send you a list of all the negative things people say at me and then you can tell me what the nugget of truth is? <laughs> sure. <laughs> I'll need to like email them on a regular basis. Amanda, I'm, I'm like sitting here shaking my head. I'm, anytime we have somebody like Jeffrey on, I feel like such a terrible person. I feel like not only a terrible person, but such an underachiever. Rob. Oh, right? <laughs> right? No, no, no. Well, at least we're in this together. <laughs> Hey, Jeffrey, I, I love if talking about- If he saw about... our text between each other, he'd be like, what are these oh, two yeah. so negative? <laughs> <laughs> well, sometimes that banter can be uh, you know, a part of your relationship that's positive. So <laughs> We try to pick things out. We make it work. Yeah. yeah. One thing I always like to ask people is you know, public speaking. If you had a fear of, of speaking in general, how did you get to the point where you, other than you know, encouragement from your mom and stuff like that, what were some of the things that you did- that made it easier for you to lean into it and get to where you are today? Try and fail and then try and succeed. Don't give up. You know, I, th- I think that's, that's something we can all learn. Whatever you want to do, whatever you set your mind to, you can do it. You may not be successful the first time. And in our world of instant gratification and instant success, and uh, we, speaking of video games earlier, uh, we can just, you know, get killed in a game and then come right back to life, you know, in, in that game. <laughs> if That's you not didn't how throw it works the controller the... through the wall and break the controller like <laughs> I normally do. <laughs> Have you done that, Amanda? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> That's extreme. So you weren't good with the Wii, right? <laughs> You're throwing that thing around. <laughs> oh, no. I'm not good in anything that involves hand-eye coordination, both electronic and in person. So, like, <laughs> we've joked before that I played softball but i just managed the team like i'm not i was i did not sports at all growing up you filled the water bottles no i delegated that task rob <laughs> like you don't know me at all <laughs> jeffrey we talked about you're the president-elect right now in the ala what made you decide to pursue that the ala is such an outstanding organization provides all kinds of opportunities for professional growth. And that's all what I'm all about. Um, you mentioned, how did I get to public speaking? You know, ALA provided some of those opportunities for me to try and fail and to try to get in, and get better at whatever I wanted to do. Um, it's such an outstanding organization among, amongst legal management professionals. Um, it's a peer group. It's uh, They have resources and education. So I was always wanting to be involved in an association like that. Got involved in 2004. I just really got a lot out of that network. So one of the reasons why I wanted to pursue being president-elect is because I think it's an association that can be the 
most excellent organization for our profession. It has a lot of abilities and potential to be that. It is that in a lot of ways, but I think it can be better at what it does. And so, like I said, I'm all about professional development and helping others get better at what they do. And that's what the association does. And so it's a mission that fits with my passion, getting involved in leadership and getting involved in the board, and then um, eventually seeing that I do have something to contribute to be uh, the, the president and lead this association for that term. You know, my motivation isn't to build a resume or, you know, really isn't to put something on, on my you, Your I, resume I, is chock full. <laughs> like there's nowhere else for it to go. So that yeah, certainly so, cannot be the reason. It's going to be yeah. like seven and a half pages at that point. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my reason is really is to help this association be the best it can be and to work with us, such outstanding leaders that we have on the board of directors. Oh, to, present to company this. included. That's right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> to, to lead this group. And to lead this Rob, don't roll your eyes at me. He's being positive. And- <laughs> I'm listening to Jeffrey. I'm ignoring you. Keep okay, going. I'll shut up. All right. No, that's fine. I'll shut up. You know, one thing we found um, in, in all the research and studying about organizational development is that high performers want to work with high performers and they want yep. to be with high performers and they want to get better at what they want to do. So the ones that are like that are, are, are who we find in our association. Uh, and also, I tell my staff that all the time, you know, you want, to, you want to work to be the best version of yourself that you can be. And you want every moment that goes by to be something that contributes to bettering yourself, uh, whether it's professionally, whether it's personally, whether it's in your social life, whether it's in your home life. Um, take the opportunities to learn and grow from all, of ex- all experiences. No one is perfect. You're not going to be perfect. You're going to make a mistake. Don't be afraid to make a mistake but learn from it and grow from it. The worst thing you can do is make a mistake and never learn and grow from it and repeat the mistake. And that's something we do in our law firm. You know, our law firm is all about helping others who can't help themselves. You know, we're a plaintiff litigation law firm. Uh, We're trial lawyers um, and the whole team is all about what is the issue for the client? You know, what what is the injustice that has been done? And so uh, how can we help them? How can we make them whole? How can we help their life be easier when they've dealt with a catastrophic injury or a catastrophic experience or something that's affected their lives tremendously. And for us to do that, all of us need to be pursuing that goal as to all of us being better today, better tomorrow than we are today. So do something today to make yourself better tomorrow is really my motto. Okay. I'm going to ask you something that's, you know, not as serious, but when you talk about the type of work your firm does, how do you respond to people who say, well, you're just a bunch of ambulance chasers? You know, plaintiffs and attorneys in general get a bad rap because of the billboards and the people's faces and the, you know, slip and fall call, you know, or whatever. So how do you respond to that? Well, I think there's certainly that aspect. I mean, you see a lot of the commercials, you see those uh, reinforcing messages that uh, reinforce those images and, um, you know, that kind of perception. But there's a whole world of plaintiff litigation and plaintiff law firms that really are fighting for the right side of the civil justice system. They're very selective, like we are, very selective about uh, who their clients are, selective about the issues. We vet the cases. The reality is it takes a lot of money to invest in getting these cases going. You know, a medical medical malpractice case, for example, could be a quarter million dollars investment. Yeah. So if you don't have the right kind of issue, the compromise in the standard of care for medical procedures, for example, then, you know, it's not a case you should take. So you shouldn't be, you know, out there looking for every case that comes around or every issue that comes around. You should be very selective in what your law firm 
is pursuing. I'm proud to work at our law firm and all of our staff is because of the issues that we tackle and the thing, the kind of clients that we have. And, you know, they are real issues. Um, they are things that affect not only our client, but also people from uh, other walks of life. If you have a product issue, a product liability case, uh, that product has affected more than just our client usually. Right. And so we're, we feel like we're making the world a better place. And, you know, fortunately in our firm, you know, we've had some significant groundbreaking cases. They have changed the law and protected citizens and um, for all kinds of, you know, product liability, medical malpractice, personal injury, fraud, financial fraud, patent infringement, you know, all kinds of topics that um, our firm has worked on. Amanda mentioned at the beginning, I was going to dive into this. When I was reading over the pre-show notes, the sleep music. Oh, yeah. I mean, this was really intriguing. <laughs> I think that was one of the most interesting things I've ever read when reading the notes. Talk to me about the sleep music. Okay. So, um, you know, I have a lot of keyboards and recording equipment. I was like, I see two keyboards yeah. behind you. Well, there are more in here. But <laughs> <laughs> So I like to compose music. I like to write music in all kinds of different genres, um, ambient music, epic music, movie music, cinematics um, are my favorite genres. I also do electronic music, uh, EDM, you know, and it's, it's all fun. And, you know, I record it and post it on, on uh, SoundCloud for some people who want to hear it. But one of the things I've really gotten into is a development or a, a, an offshoot of a- ambient music, and that is sleep music. So there's a whole science and study on the kind of rhythms and the kind of frequencies that help us get better sleep. With these electronic keyboards, you can not only produce any kind of sound and reproduce sampled sounds of any instrument, but you can also change frequencies and you can really hone in on the tones and the rhythms and the frequencies that really connect with your ability to get better sleep. So the science says. My mind's blown. I this know. The Rob's metaverse. like leaning forward. like metaverse. Like, so do you like uh, write a new song and then play it in your headphones as you're sleeping to test it out to see if it was <laughs> a successful recording? Actually, I do. My music puts me to sleep. So. <laughs> <laughs> it works. Jeffrey, can you write a song that says, Mama don't need Xanax tonight? And that way I can. (laughs) Maybe he should uh, write a new intro for us. Yes. Hey, that would be fun. No, an extra. Outro. Outro. Yeah, we we can experiment. So you didn't take that a little early, Amanda? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We don't want people to go to sleep before the show, Rob. It's after the show. That's true. That's true. I was thinking of more the, the EDM, <laughs> you know, oh, the, the EDM, EDM to check it out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Boom, boom. Get everybody yeah. up and going yeah. before they listen to the exciting show. It is exciting. I felt like a little bit of sarcasm thrown out there just now. <laughs> well, that's the thing. You know, sleep music is just one genre. I do all kinds of different ones that keep me awake. <laughs> so, Jeffrey, we've talked a lot about your passion, but we're kind of wrapping into our final segment, which is the one we call Pitch Your Passion. And so it's a couple of minutes to talk about something that's passionate to you that maybe is something we haven't touched on already. You know, I think as, as leaders in business organizations and leaders in life in general, we have a responsibility to be enablers, to help people be successful. And one of my passions is developing other people and helping them find their vision, finding their niche, finding what they're passionate about and helping them grow in those areas. And so 
know, that's why I do the things I do. That's why I'm involved in the things I'm involved in. And I study the things I study because life is a combination of all of the disciplines and all of the things we can read about and learn. And everyone has a story and stories are interesting and, and people's stories are fascinating. We can all learn from them. But what, one thing I think is common to everyone's story is the self and finding the self and how we can discover our authentic selves to live the life that we were meant to live. And so if we don't ever get out of our comfort zones, if we don't ever talk to other people and dialogue with other people, then we're never going to expand our horizons and we're never going to reach our full potential. So one of my passions is dialoguing with people, people who are different, people who may not think like I do, people who are, aren't from the same backgrounds, people who look differently and from different parts of the world or the country and have different perspectives. You know, I, I think it's important and very enriching to all of our lives. If we get back to this idea that dialogue is good and that disagreement is not the enemy, it's not bad to have disagreement that uh, we can embrace those things as learning experiences and learning for one another. You have a perspective. I have a perspective. We were all created uh, for a purpose and we have different purposes and different contexts. We come from different places. And so we can learn from one another and we can grow from one another. And if we are curious about each other, instead of judgmental towards each other, we have a much better chance to learn and have productive dialogue and I use that term dialogue on purpose because dialogue is intentional. It's conversational, but it's also intentional. We want to learn from other people. We want to know what makes them tick. We want to gain from their experiences. And I think in our society, we've become so significantly polarized, uh, whether it's politics, religion, what we believe about social issues. And I really think that we are much better off when we can look at another person and sit with another person and talk with another person and learn from them and show each other respect and kindness. And I think that's really what the um, goal of diversity really should be and really is, is that we can all take advantage of this rich life that we are experiencing together and not live in such a polarized, hate-filled, anger-filled environment. So that's my passion is to uh, say that message and to talk about <laughs> that message and to live that message. Well, thanks for joining us today, Jeffrey. Thank you so much. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Most Illegal Podcast. If you like what you heard, make sure you like and subscribe so you don't miss a single episode. You can also check us out online on mostlylegalpodcast.com, where you can sign up for our email list, get weekly recaps, and get some of your very own Mostly Legal swag. Yeah.